Well, this is Easter, and you're not here by accident. This is something that God has planned for your life from the very beginning of time. This is God's purpose for you, and, and He's orchestrated the fabric of your life for this moment and this time for you to be in this place on this rainy Easter Sunday, uh, and you are here because that's what God has designed and planned for you. So let's just take a moment and let's rejoice that God had this purpose for us. And that there is something very significant and special that he desires to show you and me as we gather in this place. Uh, As we're here, there's something that God is, is putting together for you. And so it's my hope and prayer for you today that you would experience and receive exactly what God has designed for you as you've joined us here. Um, But here's the thing. I know that uh, resurrection or Easter means different things to different people. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and for some of you who have gathered here, uh, resurrection is about an historical event that took, thousand, uh, took, took place 2,000 years ago. And so you're here to commemorate that event. It's an important event. It's, it is the most earth-shattering event that has ever taken place. It is certainly the most uh, historically shaping event in all of our history as we have known it, only to be surpassed uh, at the end of time when Jesus returns. And so as we're here, uh, we need to understand that, yes, there is that historical event. You've come to celebrate that. Maybe you're here not because of the historical event that took place 2,000 years ago, but because this is an historical event in your life. I'm talking about Easter Sunday. This is, this is something that is uh, history for you. It's, it's something that is familiar to you, something that, that you have uh, anticipated, something that you have, have uh, participated in for, uh, for years and years and years. And so Easter Sunday has this historical tradition in your life that is important. And I celebrate that. You see my tie today? Isn't that a nice tie? Isn't that a nice tie? Yeah, I think so. One tradition that makes me a little teary-eyed is, is uh, uh, my girls uh, buy me a tie with my own money, but they buy me a tie uh, every Easter. And, this is, and my commitment is they, they buy the tie, I wear the tie. And it doesn't matter what the tie looks like, I'm going to wear it. And uh, thankfully, they're at the age now where uh, if the tie doesn't look, if it's a little bit wild or crazy, it is intentional. They're doing that on purpose. Uh, but uh, I'm so thankful. And, and, and for many of you, that's, what, that's kind of the shape of Easter. It's a, an historical tradition in your life and in your family, and, and you're here as part of that. And so uh, along with me, I mean, I celebrate that as well. But, but really, Easter, the resurrection, as a life-shaping event, something that changes your life. You're, you may be a little bit, I don't see how what happened 2,000 years ago really has any bearing on my life today. And and many of you are here today, and that's where you're coming from. Now, you might not say it because you're kind of in a place where if you said that out loud, you're afraid you might get booed or something. You wouldn't hear. You wouldn't get booed. You would get booted. No, I'm just kidding. You would. That's a joke. You wouldn't. We would love you. Uh, I I would love you. You come and boo me. But anyway... um, you know, you're in a place where you might not say, well, I just don't know if I can say that, 
that I don't see what the big deal about the, you know, I mean, I understand it's an event in history, and I understand it's a tradition for my family, but I don't really get why, how it shapes my life, how it changes my life. And, and that's really what I want us to see today. I want us to kind of, kind of trace the, the, the importance of the resurrection and, and how it is more than just historical, it becomes personal. And so as we look at how the resurrection can, can become personal for us, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And really, this is a classic passage on the resurrection. I, I've preached this passage several times uh, on Easter weekends, and, and, and it's one of my favorite passages. Uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, just look at verse 3, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, do you hear those words? Those were not just uh, uh, words that Peter was writing like you would write a novel. He wasn't just writing words that that you could read and and, and read out loud uh, in order to sound good. This was... uh, a praise. This was a celebration. This was Peter dancing a jig of joy, right? I, this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you, in Peter's culture, in his upbringing, you start a sentence like that, man, you are shouting, right? You, you are dancing. You are celebrating. It's a song of celebration. Now, why? Why was Peter so invested in what happened at the resurrection, that he would begin this this whole letter with this celebration. And why why do you see people around you acting a little bit crazy when when we're singing songs about the resurrection? Why, why why, Why is it that people are so personally invested, you wonder? Well, I think, I think that Peter kind of hits at it here. And, and ultimately, here's the big picture. Through the resurrection, God's love calls us to come alive. And you might say, well, I am alive. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but that's really what, what the resurrection does and what this passage speaks on. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, there's God's love, has uh, caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and that's the picture that we have. This picture of coming alive, being born again. Now, why would Peter talk about the need to be born? He was writing to people that were already alive. He was writing to people just like you and me, living and breathing. But why would he need to say that, that God's love caused us to come alive? What was, the, what was the issue that Peter was hitting on? Well, uh, ultimately, what Peter was saying is that, that we need help that, that only God can give. That there are certain things in our life that we need help with that only God can give. And you might say, well, I, I don't really believe that. I don't really agree with that. I mean, I, I've got my life kind of navigated. I've got my life kind of figured out. And, and, and I'm okay with, with how I'm working my life and how I'm doing my program and, and working my plan and got my purposes all down. And I'm, I'm filling the, the, the days with the big boulders and then, and then all the di- different little sandy activities. I've, I've got those. And, and so I've got my life kind of figured out. I'm okay. Really? I mean, let really. 
I mean, and you might say, well, now he's getting ready to preach. Well, no, I'll, let's just be common sense. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'll preach in a sec. Don't worry, I, it's coming. But right, let's just talk, let's just be real with each other. I mean, I've got, I've got a wife and four daughters. I need help that only God can give. I mean, that's kind of a joke, but that's really real. I mean, you think about it. I'm a guy, and I'm surrounded by women in my home all the time. And they think differently than I think, and they feel differently than I feel. And they express themselves differently than I'm comfortable with. I need help. And it, I mean, that's just, that's just simple. Yes, there are things that I have in my life. I need help that only God can give me help. There's not enough books. I've read them. I, I, I've read them. There are not enough books. I mean, now, that's not a hit on my wife or my daughters. They are the best in the world. That's a hit on me. I'm dumb. Just like most men. Dumb as mud. Have no sense. I, I need help. And, 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 and only God can give me that kind of help. It's supernatural wisdom. I mean, most of the time, my daughters will come up and say, oh, Daddy, I need that. And I, I, get, I say, oh, well, let me fix that. They don't want me to fix anything. They just want me to listen. I have learned that. <laughs> but even my listening skills are, I mean, I need help. So, and you might say, well, I, I, don't, have, I don't have four daughters. And, and I'd say, but I'm, I feel sorry for you because that is the greatest blessing of my life. It's far better than having four boys, in my opinion. It's just my humble opinion. I, I was raised with three brothers. I, I know the feel. You know, I, I, I got a picture of that. I, girls smell a lot nicer. <laughs> you might say, well, I'm tainted against boys. You, you can tell I've got kind of a, a kind of a... Uh, uh, I'm snarky about, I get sassy about boys. And you, you might say, well, why do I get sassy about boys? I say, because I got four daughters. What do you think? Duh. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> you, you might not have issues like I've got, but, but the truth is you've got them, right? I mean, you have relationships that seem out of whack and out of sync and out of sorts, and, and you need help in those relationships. You don't know how to fix those things. You've got something going on at your work and, and you don't know how to resolve those things at work and, and you need help that you're, you're, you're not able to navigate it by yourself. Or maybe you've got sickness in your life or in your family. I mean, illness, physical illness or emotional illness or psychological illness and it is overwhelming you and you need help and, and you don't know where to get it. And I've got to tell you, there is something about each of us that if we would just humble ourselves enough and acknowledge, I don't have it all together and I need some help. And maybe, just maybe, the resurrection will start meaning something personal to us. But what Peter was addressing and hinting at when he says that we need to be begotten again, he wasn't talking about relational issues, although uh, what he was talking about affects our relationships. He wasn't talking about work, although what he was talking about does affect our work. What he was talking about was the problem that we all have, and that's sin. And you say, oh, now he's starting to preach. Yeah, I'm getting ready to. He's talking about sin. Now, you might, again, you might have a problem with that word sin. I really can't imagine why. I mean, I, from an early age, I understood sin. I understood that I, that I understood what it was, and I understood that I did it. 
It wasn't until I got older that I began to refine my belief about sin. It really wasn't my belief. I just started calling it something different. How about you? You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't like to call it sin. Maybe you want to call it an error in judgment. Or maybe you want to call it a mistake I made. I get that. I really do. I do the same thing. But here's the thing. Anything we do that is outside of what God wants, that's sin. Whether you want to call it an error in judgment or a mistake, you say tomato, I say tomato. God says it's sin. And so we need to understand that sin is something that we all have. We've all got this problem with sin, but here's what sin does. What we don't perhaps understand is is those little errors in judgment. And those little mistakes, anything outside what God wants, that sin is an active agent that is killing us and has killed us already. We don't understand that. We think it's just a little error in judgment or just a little mistake. It's no big deal. But the Bible tells us that, that our need and, and, and the thing that we need help with most of all is that we are living in a dead zone inside ourselves. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. In Ephesians chapter, and I've got to slow down here because people tell me when I read scripture or quote scripture, I go a little fast. So I'm going to start slow and then speed up. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul describes sin as an active agent. He said, you were dead in your sin and in your trespasses. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the sons of disobedience, in whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the mind and of the flesh, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You know what he's saying? He's saying you're on this journey, and what sin has done is it's killed you already. You are dead on the inside. And, and I, I, you know, I try to think of ways that I can illustrate this. And, and, and because really my heart's desire is for you to hear what God wants to say here. And, and I really want you to do that. And so I always try to think of ways. How can I communicate this a little bit differently so that you get it? And, and, and I've got to come to the conclusion you're either going to get it or not going to get it. And, and no matter how many different pictures and word pictures I use, you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. Either you're going to have your ears open and your heart open to what God has to say, or you're not. But it's my job to, to, to give you the whole counsel, all right? So, so here's the analogy or the picture that I, that I came up with. And it's really personal uh, because it's, it's been my journey as well. But, but here's what we do. We look at our life and, and we say, well, I don't have this, uh, this dead zone that, that's led to a grown zone of despair. I don't, I don't have this dead zone where I'm dead in my sin and my trespasses. I'm not a religious person. I'm not really, I mean, I try to be moral and make good decisions. And, and I vote the right way in political elections. And, and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, and, and I read 1 Peter and 2 Corinthians, just like Donald Trump does. And, and you got to give Trump a break on that. I don't give him a break on many things, but you got to give him a break on that. Because when he said 2 Corinthians, here's what I knew. Because I, I'm an academic in terms of, 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 of uh, uh, Scripture stuff, here's what I know. The people in Great Britain... The, the scholars and the teachers and even many of the preachers, they don't call it 2 Corinthians or 1 Peter. They'll call it 1 Peter or 2 Corinthians. So obviously Trump went to England to study Scripture. That's why he called it 2 Corinthians. He needs help. Only God can give. I'm telling you. As to pretty much all of them. Uh, all of us. All right, so, so here's what... Here's, 
Y'all, that's funny, and that needs to go online. I'm just saying, that needs to go online. That's really good. Um, so, anyway, um, we, we, uh, we, we, we look at our life, and we begin to evaluate our life. You say, I don't have this dead zone inside me. I don't really know what you because I, I have, I'm happy. I'm pretty happy. I mean, again, I'm not a religious person. I'm kind of a moral person. I'm, I'm genuinely kind of a happy guy. Now, see if this doesn't fit your happiness, Okay. When you say you're happy, here's what I hear. Here's what I think, I, and, and this has been my own experience as well. What you have is you have happy moments. You have this little o- oasis of a happy moment. Boom! You have this oasis of a happy moment. You know why? I know, because that's why everybody's looking forward to Friday. That's why uh, TGIF. That's why uh, I have friends, and they work 24-7 just so that they can get away and go fishing. And they measured their happiness by the fishing trips they take. So I understand this oasis of happy moments. And, and for many people, that's what they have. They, they identify their life by that oasis of a happy moment. But it's really a cotton candy happy. It doesn't last and it doesn't satisfy. But you, you sink your toes deep in that oasis. But then that oasis dries up. Now what do you have? Well, where is an oasis located? A desert. So here you are. The oasis is dried up. You're not getting any of your charge out of that. You're not getting any more of those happy moments out of that. And and what's around you? Just desert. So you get up from that dried out happy moment oasis and you start walking through the desert of despair and misery until you find another oasis of a happy moment. And you sit in that oasis of a happy moment until it dries up. But it will dry up because it's a cotton candy kind of happy. And that's how you measure your life. It's really, you're saying I'm happy, but really what it is, it's an oasis of a happy moment and another oasis of a happy moment with a lot of desert of despair in between. Oh, that's the dead zone. That's the dead zone that leads to the grown zone of despair in your life and in my life. And and that's what sin has done. And as God looks down on us and as God looked down upon you and me and all humanity and saw us in this dead zone that led to a grown zone of despair, moving from an oasis of a happy moment to another oasis of a happy moment, as he saw us in our sin, our errors in judgment or our mistakes as he saw us in our sin uh, dead on the inside needing life the way paul describes it is uh remember ephesians 2 1 through 3 uh, you were dead in your trespasses and your sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air who now works among the sons of disobedience among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind and you were by nature children of wrath that's one through three verse four but god but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in christ jesus by grace you have been saved so here's the picture that peter is talking about in first peter chapter 1 verse 3 he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. According to God's great love, according to his abundant mercy, he invades our desert of despair. He invades the dead zone of our life. He invades your right now in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And he sent Jesus to live his life. Jesus left the throne room of heaven. Fully God, yet he became a man. And he was born in Bethlehem, fully God, yet fully man. And he lived his life as a man, without sin, without any errors or ju- errors in judgment or mistakes. And yet the Bible says that Jesus went to die on a cross. Why? Why would Jesus go to die on a cross? Because God in his love saw us in our sin and he wanted Jesus to take care of the problem that only he could fix. Jesus came to die in our place on a cross. Jesus died so that we might live. And that's, that's the beautiful story of the whole of Scripture, that Jesus came to die so that we might have a shot at being born again, having new life, coming alive. It's not through the works that we do. It's not because we're thinking straight. It's not because we're more moral in how we live our life. The only way that you and I can live is when we take Jesus' death on the cross as payment for the penalty of our sin. What Jesus did, the Bible says, that Jesus entered into this wonderful exchange. And he said, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take all your sin on me. And so God determined that Jesus would take all the sin of you and me. And as he hung upon the cross and as he died, it was as if he, was, he had sinned all the sins of all humanity for all time. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Now, he, God said, okay, I'm going to take my wrath for sin, the sin that has separated us from God. He's going to take, God's going to take his holiness and, and, and burn his wrath, not on us who deserve it, but on Jesus, who didn't deserve it. Jesus willingly became that wondrous lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus became that sacrifice on our behalf. And he did it willingly because that's what God's love demanded. So God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we trust What Jesus did on the cross is payment for our sin. We now can be forgiven our sin and move out of this oasis of happy moments filled with a desert of despair. Move out of the dead zone that leads to the groan zone of despair. We can move out of that kind of existence in life. And because of God's love through Jesus, when we trust what Jesus did, we come alive. God causes us to be born again. We have new life. We have new purpose. We have new hope. And that's what the resurrection, that's that's how the resurrection becomes personal to us. It's not just a historical event, but it becomes a personal event. When we who deserve death because of our sin, who are dead in our sin and trespasses, when we who, 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 who are dead come alive because Jesus who is alive died, In that moment, in that transaction, where God says, I take my son's holiness and I give it to a sinner. 
And I take the sinner's unrighteousness and I give it to my son so that Jesus who died causes a sinner who deserves death to live. In that wonderful transaction, when we by faith trust it, take hold of it, when we say, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to try to fix it myself anymore. I'm, I'm not going to be content with this oasis of happy moment with a lot of desert of despair in between. I need, I need help that only God can give, and that's Jesus. So I'm going to run to Jesus, and I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to say, Jesus, you're my only hope. And when that happens, we come alive. But that's not the end of the story. Peter writes, he says, according to his abundant mercy, he has caused us to be born again, here it is, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A living hope. You see, Jesus was killed. He carried his cross to Golgotha. He hung upon that cross. He suffered and he bled and he died and he was put in a borrowed tomb. But that was not the end of the story. Friday came, then Saturday left, and then Sunday morning, God looked down upon his son and said, Arise, Jesus, your offering has been accepted. Arise, Jesus, now it's time for hope to come alive. Arise, Jesus, the cross has been defeated and now the tomb is empty and Jesus was raised from the dead and how that becomes personal to us see Jesus lives so that we might have a hope that never dies so that we might have a hope that doesn't fade away. So that we might have a, a vigorous hope that holds on to every difficulty, every struggle, every problem with a certainty of God's intervening love. So that we who have been purchased by God's grace through the death of Jesus on the cross, forgiven our sin, we can now look at our life, our existence here and now, and we can say, "Whoa!" It's going to be okay. See, I might be burdened today, but I'm going to be set free tomorrow. I might have pain today, but I'm going to have liberty tomorrow. I might have sorrow tonight, but joy comes in the morning. The cross is weighing me down, but the empty tomb is my life. Today I have hope that God will be faithful in his promise no matter what. And there ain't anything demons or devil or the hell itself can do against it. That's because of Jesus. But again, here's the thing. See, many of you are here, and let's, let's clap a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that feels good. He gets excited. It looks like he's going to have a heart attack or something. You know, and, and you experience all that, but, but here's the thing. It doesn't mean anything to you. I mean, you, you're wondering, well, is he always like that? He drank a lot of coffee. What's up? I mean, I understand because it, it can be confusing if the resurrection is history, but it's not personal. And my desire is for everyone here to experience the resurrection in personal ways. So, here's what I've got. Got an illustration. This is a rope. Y'all recognize that, didn't you? That's a rope. 
Now, imagine this rope goes from here in, into infinity. That's infinity. It doesn't have an ending spot. It just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And, and as you look at this rope going from here, the beginning, all the way into infinity, understand that is the timeline of your life. This is the timeline of your life. So as I'm looking at this and this is going off into infinity, I look and I turn 50 next August and so maybe I'm right here. No. That's, that's infinity. That's infinity. So maybe I'm right here. No. 50. No. If that's infinity, the red is your birth, and the end of the red is your death. And my 50 is right there. You know, so often what we do is we measure the timeline of our life by birth to death, but the reality is the timeline of our life is birth to death and then eternity. And that's for everybody here. That's not, that's not just for the people who love Jesus and people that don't like Jesus. It's for everybody. You're going to, born, you're going to be born, and then you're going to die, and then comes eternity. And it is a conscious eternity, and it is either going to be an eternity filled with joy or an eternity filled with sorrow. It is going to be an eternity filled with contentment or it's going to be an eternity filled with ghoulish terror. It is either going to be a, an eternity of celebration and praise or it's going to be an eternity of howling and gnashing of teeth. And that eternity is open to you right now see the good news of scripture and the great good news of God's love is that he gives you a choice not only how your life is going to be today but how your eternity is going to be in verse 5 Peter calls it an inheritance verse 4 an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that does not pass away that's the eternity and what 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 we have to decide is during this red span, we get to decide what our eternity is going to be like. Some of you are here today and, 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 and you're living in the groan zone. You're, you're in the dead zone, moving from one happy moment to another happy moment with a lot of desert of despair in between. And it's because you're, you, you have for whatever reasons, decided that you're not going to choose Jesus. So you might say, well, I believe Jesus was. That's, not the, that's really not the point. You, you realize that the devil believes that Jesus was. And the devil believes in, a, in, in the historical Jesus. And, and, and many of you say, well, I, that's the way I, you know, Jesus is. I believe that there is God. I believe that there is Jesus. I believe that, but that's really not the issue. Not for you, not for me. The, the issue for us that will make us come alive and secure an eternity of joy 
and peace is the we've got to acknowledge go ahead and acknowledge that our sin has eternal consequences that your sin and my sin those errors in judgment those mistakes what god calls sin that sin has killed us because it separated us from god we have to acknowledge that we have sinned and then we have to repent we got to turn away from that sin and turn to jesus we got to turn to Jesus and believe that what he did on the cross, he did for my sin. That he was killed on a cross for my sin as punishment for my sin. To offer me forgiveness and new life. And he was raised from the dead to set me on a path of coming alive. See, we've got to, we've got to acknowledge that our sin has separated us from God. Believe that Jesus came to repair that. Through his death on the cross as payment for my sin. Through his resurrection from the dead to give me a hope that will never die. But we also not only believe on Jesus and and, and turn from our sin and acknowledge our sin, but, but we also must confess that Jesus is not just a new oasis of happy for a moment. But we have to confess that Jesus is my king. And submit our every whim to him. See, until we're ready to acknowledge our sin that separates us from God and turn from it, believe on Jesus as our only hope for rescue and confess that he is our king, until we're ready to do that, until we embrace that, we're not going to come alive in this world. And we're going to spend an eternity of despair. But if today... God, by his grace, would open your ears and open your heart to believe on Jesus and to receive God's gift of eternal life today. Then you will come alive here and now. And you'll enter into eternity with a hope that will never die. So we're going to do something that I rarely do, only a couple of times a year. I'm I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today and God, in his grace has drawn you to see your need for Jesus. And you today, inside your heart is pounding and your blood has been stirred. And you, uh, by an act of your will, but also because God is drawing you to himself, you're ready to embrace Jesus. You're ready to be rescued by God's love. If that's who you are today, then, then I invite you here and now to call upon God and admit that your sin has separated you from God. I invite you to call upon God and acknowledge that your sin is a problem that you can't fix and that you need Jesus. And as you acknowledge your sin right now in prayer, Will you also commit yourself to turn from that sin and begin to trust in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is fully God who became a man, who died on a cross as payment for your sin, to offer you a forgiveness from that sin, and that he was raised from the dead to give you a new way of life? Right now in prayer, would you say, Oh God, I know that I have sinned and my sin has separated you from me from you. So right now I call upon Uh, you to 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 forgive my sin not based upon my works but based upon jesus christ who died on the cross for me 
I pray, oh God, right now that you would forgive my sin. I turn from it. I, I, I abandon it. And then thirdly, will you confess that Jesus will be your king? Jesus, right now, I submit my life to you. All that I am, I give to you. Oh God, right now, I pray for every person in this room whose heart you have stirred with your grace. I pray that they would see clearly as they pray this prayer of repentance and faith, as they call upon you, oh Jesus, to forgive their sin. Oh God, I pray that you would give them that certainty and that, that, that confidence that you have made them alive today through faith in Jesus Christ. And that you have secured their eternity in heaven rather than hell. Lord God, thank you for the work that your spirit and your spirit alone is doing in this room right now. And we give you praise and glory for it. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.